0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Grace Presbyterian Church. For more information about our church, please visit our website, gracechurchlaunceston.com. Sarah's been reading to our children The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. Has anyone read that book?
1: Yeah, yep.
0: Yeah. It's a wonderful story. Um, we're up to the sad part where the, the witch kills Aslan... Um, But as you know, or maybe you don't know, that's not the end of the story. There's a happy ending to come. Uh, We love it when the glass shoe fits the girl and uh, the girl marries the prince. We love it when the happy endings happen. We love it when the Batman defeats Joker, the Joker, and saves Gotham City. And we're so thankful that those enduring characters overcome their pride and prejudice and finally reconcile. Uh, And if you're going to write a happy ending story, I don't think this is the chapter you would end in, in Jonah. Uh, You'd end at chapter three, wouldn't you? I think. It's been a roller coaster ride for Jonah so far. He's uh, this prophet from Israel, he's an Israelite prophet, he's on the run from God and God tells him to go to Nineveh, this Assyrian city Uh, to preach against them because Nineveh is a wicked city and it's very evil, they do wicked things. But Jonah disobeys God and he goes on a boat as he tries to get as far away from Nineveh as possible, humanly speaking, but God runs after him. He sends a storm of judgment against Jonah and Jonah ends up in, in the water. He ends up not on the boat but in the water and then there's a big fish that swallows him whole But God even has mercy on Jonah right then from the bottom of the ocean and he gets vomited back up onto the land. There's a resurrection of sorts that happens there. Uh, In a remarkable turnaround, Jonah finally obeys God and he goes to this great city of Nineveh and he preaches the message, 40 days and you'll be destroyed. And if you thought the fish bit was remarkable, what happens in the city is even more remarkable. It's a whole nother level The whole city repents of their sin and they turn to God and they put on sackcloth and ashes. A great revival breaks out from the greatest to the least. Even the king uh, repents and God relents and God has compassion on the Ninevites. They're spared from the destruction that was threatened against them. And you'd think chapter 3, great end to the story. Jonah finally obeys God. Nineveh is saved happily ever after. But then we get chapter four. We get this intriguing chapter, chapter four, a surprising twist. It's a wonderful chapter because this isn't a mere fairy tale, uh, but God is dealing with a real-life person in Jonah. He's dealing with Jonah in this chapter. And the book ends with a prophet who is very angry and an overwhelming sense of God's compassion. We see Jonah's heart revealed in chapter 4 but we also see God's heart, we see God here in this chapter and the conclusion of this book is meant to take us, um, meant to turn the focus on us, the reader, to look at our hearts as well, where we are in this story. So what's going on with Jonah, verse 1, chapter 4, <clears throat> he's fuming with anger but Ellen wisely read out from verse 10, because that's where we're going to start. When Jonah saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. God has compassion on these Ninevites and Jonah doesn't like it. There are plenty of things I don't like. Um, I don't like spiders or sharks. Um, I don't really like swimming for the fact there's sharks in the water. But Jonah doesn't like God's compassion. He's fuming at what God does here. He's angry with God because it seems to him, verse 1, what God has done seems very wrong. He says that it seems very wrong to Jonah. What God does seems wrong. Why is that? Why is Jonah like this? Why is he acting like this? Surely he should have been happy, surely, surely. Uh, A whole 120,000 people more turned to God. God has done an amazing miracle in Nineveh, but Jonah doesn't like it. So, have a look, verse 2, it says, God, it says, He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity, but now, Lord, take away my life. It is better for me to die than to live. These are, these are amazing truths about God, aren't they? Grace, compassion, slow to anger, abounding in love. This is the covenant God. But he's complaining that the covenant God should not be like that to those people, to the Ninevites. This is why Jonah says, "I don't want to go. I didn't want to go there from the beginning, Lord. I didn't want you to, to act like that to those people." Now we have to understand Jonah's situation, his thought process here. These these people that God had compassion on were Assyrians. They were evil people. And within a generation, they would invade and carry away Jonah's own people into exile and basically wipe them off the face of the planet. Jonah knew the international political scene. He knew what Assyrians were like. He read the news. He heard the stories of the brutality, the cruelty, and he was afraid. So on one level, we understand why Jonah holds these strong feelings against Nineveh. But at the same time, we see a man in his heart of hearts who does not like God's compassion on people who don't deserve it. He would rather see these people annihilated, wiped off the map, than repent and be spared. We see a prophet of God, nonetheless, no less, who really doesn't like that God is like who He is, that God shows mercy. A God of compassion is wonderful when it suits me. That's what he's thinking. It's wonderful if it's coming my way to my people. Please, Lord, not to the Ninevites. I think he's resenting God that he's turned the hearts of Nineveh. But I suspect that he's resenting God because he hasn't turned the hearts of Israel back to the Lord yet. Israel hadn't listened to the prophets. Israel weren't listening to the prophets. They had turned away. The preaching had fallen on deaf ears. But at five minutes at Nineveh, the whole city repents. What's with that, God? Why haven't you done this in my own people? Why should the Gentiles have grace to believe, but not Israel? Why save those people and not my own? You know, you know God's ways are confronting at times. They can challenge us in our own understanding. They confound us sometimes sometimes. In our pride, we can think that God should do something, but then He doesn't do it. In our pride, we can think that God shouldn't do something, but then He does it. That's what sin does within us, you see. Our wills are misaligned with God's will. Sin, by its very nature, is at odds with God, and we can be like Jonah. We can think we know better than God. We think we know more than God. Our preferences for how our situation plays out in our life, doesn't go our way and we can become angry with God because what we think what we think should happen doesn't happen we can become twisted in our hearts by circumstances that don't go our way Jonah should have prayed a different prayer than verse 2 he should have prayed a different prayer He could have been confronted by God's mercy on the Ninevites and prayed a prayer that would prayer asking God to help him understand understand how vast and wide God's love is, even for Gentiles. Jonah could have prayed that his that God would help him to break down the prejudice that's built up in his heart. Jonah could have prayed to have for God to work in him a heart for the lost, those without hope. But Jonah doesn't pray that prayer here. He, gets, he is confronted with God and his character and he becomes angry. But God's question, verse 4, is it's just a wonderful question. And he says, but the Lord replied, is, is it right for you to be angry? Is it right? How does Jonah reply to that? Well, he doesn't reply, does he? He can't reply, he has no right to be angry. God's mercy and compassion is astounding to Nineveh. But God's mercy and compassion towards Jonah is also astounding. Throughout the whole story, Jonah has been a complete mess, hasn't he? Jonah had forgotten how God had treated him. He had run away from the Lord, he did not deserve to be where he was, and God had rescued him from the bottom of the ocean nonetheless. It's amazing, isn't it? Jonah says, uh, chapter 2, verse 9, that salvation comes from the Lord. That's really like the, the, uh, the tagline of the whole book, salvation comes from the Lord. But the tragedy for Jonah is that he was happy to receive salvation for himself, but not to see salvation go to someone else. That wasn't acceptable. He hadn't really understood that God is slow to anger. Our God loves to show mercy. You know, if we believed in the Lord Jesus, we have been shown this same mercy. Haven't we? God's compassion and love has been demonstrated to us Through Jesus. 2 Peter 3 says, verse 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping His promises. As some understand slowness, He is patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God has been incredibly merciful to us. None of us can claim to have a right or a higher privilege in the Kingdom of God. We we can't claim any right to the mercy of God, or that God shouldn't show compassion on that person over there, and but on us. In our pride, we think we can think that. But but what we deserve for our sin, our sin deserves the calamity that was forecast for Nineveh. That's what our sin deserves. We deserve punishment for our rebellion against God. And as much as Jonah may have felt it, there is no entitlement when it comes to grace there's no entitlement God shows compassion on those he shows compassion on we don't deserve the love that sent Jesus to the cross for us we have a God who is slow to anger and abounding in love and he's relented from sending disaster upon us for our sin because he sent that calamity onto his own son Jesus his anger was spent on Jesus so that we could be spared. So we don't, we don't deserve mercy any more than anyone else. We can't look down on others or have a, a proud heart. Rather, let's, let's praise God for He shows us and others great compassion. Now on to the second point. And we, we look more at God's compassion here in the next few verses. Um, God's heart of compassion. So, over the last few weeks, our garden at home has come alive. The plants, uh, the seeds that I planted in our veggie patch have come up. The weeds are flourishing. It's just amazing to see the lawn grow. Uh, but we have an, intrig- an intriguing incident here with a plant in these next few verses. A plant that is quickly growing. So what's it all about? Verse 5, Jonah had gone out and sat down in a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, uh, sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head and eat to ease his discomfort. But Jonah was very happy about the plant. We'll stop there for a moment. Maybe kids, if you've got a bit of paper there, you could draw a plant. Do you think you could do that? A plant that's growing up over a prophet sleeping in the desert. Uh, You could draw a vine growing up over Jonah. So, Jonah is outside the city now. He's, verse 5, he's set up camp. He's got a shelter there. But it's kind of perverse, really. He's out there waiting for God to send destruction onto Nineveh. He's just waiting to see if God would change his mind. He was wanting fire and brimstone. But even now, God treats Jonah with compassion. This plant grows up, doesn't it? Um, Jonah is out there in the beating sun. If you've ever ever had heat stroke before, you kind of get what is going on with Jonah. He is pretty sick. The heat is overwhelming um, and he needs shade. God provides this plant and Jonah loves the plant. Verse 7, But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. And the sun blazed down on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. He loved the plant. He loved that plant. He loved the comfort that the plant brought him in the sun the shade, the protection from the heat. But what does God do? He takes it away. He takes away the comfort that he's experiencing to teach him something, to teach the prophet something. And Jonah becomes angry. It is better for me to die than to live. He is angry with God. You know, there are times to be angry. There are good times to be angry, right times to be angry. Maybe you can think of someone. when God is mocked by someone, that is a righteous anger there, when there's a clear wrong that's happened, it's right to be angry at wrong. There are good reasons to be angry, but more often than not, our anger isn't right. Our anger says a lot about us and our hearts than often what it says about other people. Anger can come powerfully over us, like it does Jonah here. It can swamp us. The heat rises. How dare God take this plant from me? Jonah thinks. Anger is powerful and a power that arises from our hearts that overtakes our thoughts, our emotions. Our bodies even bristle, doesn't, don't they? Bristle with anger. We can get angry when God takes away something that we think is mine. We can get angry when God doesn't do what we want Him to do. We can get angry when something that we put our hope in, a plan, a strategy, something we put a lot of effort into, when it just doesn't work. We can get angry for a lot of reasons. And the question comes back from God, do I have a right to be angry? He turns, turns it around. He, 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 he's saying, Jonah, you need to look inside yourself. Do you actually have a right to be angry? <coughs> and more often than not, we don't, do we? Anger can come... From a proud heart when we become angry it's often sometimes often because we've forgotten the grace that we've received in jesus we've forgotten the mercy of god we we don't remember that we have been showered with compassion by god psalm 139 says search me o god and know my heart try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting God says to Jonah, Look inside, see what's going on, Jonah. Do you have a right to be angry? And we can pray, Search my heart, O God. Lead me, O Lord, to repentance, to change. And so God goes on, verse 10. And he tells us really the point, what it all means. The Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and died overnight. Should I not have concern for that great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? <coughs> Jonah, you, you care about a plant. You didn't look after that plant. You didn't even plant that plant. You didn't water that plant. It just appeared because I made it grow, Jonah. Jonah. I cared for you, Jonah. I showed you compassion and you've invested so much in this plant. You love the plant. And if you care for a plant, Jonah, that's just there and gone, gone one day, the next. If you care about this plant, then why shouldn't I care about these people? Or even the cattle, Jonah, the the animals. Shouldn't I care about those things as well? And the strong suggestion is, at the end of the book here, that you, Jonah, should care about people as well. People are worth more than plants. Where is your heart at, Jonah? You've become self-absorbed. And so the book ends, uh, maybe the point of the story really isn't to know whether Jonah gets it all together at the end. Maybe we want to know that. Maybe the conclusion to the book here is, is for the purpose to ask the reader about their own hearts. What are we caring about? Maybe the book ends this way to ask the question what we, about what we love most of all, what we care about, who we care about. Do we have God's heart of compassion. Do we? Do we reflect in us God's own heart for others, those who are far from Him or who aren't like us? Do we love people who we don't get along with? Do we have compassion on those who grate us the wrong way? In contrast to the stunning mercy of God and God's compassion, we find Jonah is self-absorbed by the end of the book. He loves himself and his own comfort, but he doesn't love 120,000 people who could have faced destruction. And we're left to ask, are we a little bit like Jonah? Time and again in the Gospels we see Jesus and his heart of compassion. Jesus says, it's not the healthy that need a doctor but the sick. I did not come to call the righteous but sinners. Jesus ate with sinners, he called sinners to himself. And he showed mercy, mercy and compassion who did, to those who didn't know their right hand from their left. Just like God does with Nineveh. The story of Jesus and Zacchaeus, uh, Luke 19, is a wonderful example of Jesus' compassion. Zacchaeus was a dodgy guy. He was a tax collector. He was doing some pretty, pretty rough stuff. But Jesus showed compassion on that man. He, he called him to himself. He came to faith. And this is what Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. That's what we see in in Jonah 4. We see compassion on the lost. Jesus came to this world to seek and save the lost. He came to us, Philippians 2, in humility, not pride, in humility to serve. And so if we, we have received grace, if we've received compassion in Jesus, if we have received salvation, then God gets to work at renovating our hearts, making what He loves what we love, aligning our hearts to be more like Christ. And so <coughs> the question is, do we have that heart of compassion for others? Or do we lack a heart of compassion for others? The passage asks us the question, do we care, do we care for others? Do we care most of all about the things that bring us comfort in our lives? Are we moved and do we feel for other people? Jonah loved a plant more than he loved human beings. What a devastating critique that is. Could the same be said of us at times, do we have a tendency to care more about ourselves and our own needs than the needs of others? Do we care about more about what sits in our garage than the plight of the lost? Are we more concerned about making our lives comfortable, setting ourselves up for the future? Are the numbers in our bank account more than thinking about the ways we might love and serve our fellow human beings? Does the cause of Christ and His mission mean more to me than my own comfort? Do we have a spirit of Jonah? Probably, maybe, I suspect we do, because that's why the book is here, isn't it? To show us, to urge us to see the compassion of God and to examine ourselves and to drive us towards Christ and ask to ask Him for help to change. We need need God to reorder our our loves, what we love most in the world, to grow in us a heart of love, which serves others before ourselves, to love God, to love our neighbours, to love, as Jesus says, even our enemies, the people we don't get along with, and pray for them. Jonah needed that. We need that too. You know, people are inconvenient aren't they? People are inconvenient. They take up time, they take up energy. Uh, They don't always return the love we give them. They can respond in ways we don't like because they're people like us. But we are called to love others, not out of obligation, but because of God's compassion. Grace, you see, is the motivation for change It's the motivation for showing grace to others. God's love is the only way we can possibly show love to others. The Gospel, Christ Himself, came to unlovely people and He calls us to love in return. We've received compassion. So let this shape how we see other people.